Welcome and thank you for tuning in to Modern Aged Middle Life, a podcast brought to you by Emily Baum and Graham Jarvis, comedy writers addressing modern day confusions for the middle aged. Emily, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Are we on Pebble Mill? <laughs> I've been doing this heritage website things in my boredom of lockdown oh, recently. Oh, not you as well. Yeah. And I've been trying to trace relatives, and I think you might be my mummy. <laughs> uh, do you know, I thought you were going to suggest that you now got all the way down to the initial amoeba or something like that. <laughs> I've now done my family tree, passed all the generations yeah. to the first yeah. ape and an amoeba. Yeah. I couldn't be yeah, more straight delighted. Past royalty. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't stop at Henry VIII. Too many people have got Henry VIII. I wanted more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because it's popular at the moment, isn't it? Doing the whole ancestry purely because everybody's bored, stupid. Yeah, I think I might have originated because of a long-toothed dinosaur. Or did you see those lovely things they discovered this week? The smallest reptiles for about as big, just a tip of your fingernail they can go on. Now that sounds a bit more realistic given your stature. <laughs> Imagine mean, if you were related to one of those. Oh, I'd love that. What, a tiny reptile? Yeah. Um, I think I'll be all right with that. I'm quite happy being related to a monkey, except the ones that eat your face. Are you? Yeah. The other ones are nice. King Henry VIII. Imagine if you were related to King Henry VIII. I don't think I'd be proud of that. He doesn't sound a very nice person. I definitely, from his gene pool, we've got the weight gain issues shared and definitely a love for food. And realistically, if if someone could put me to bed in a hoist, I probably would say yes. <laughs> gene pool. For quite a long time, I thought he starred in that singing, dancing in the rain video. Yeah. And there's an epic silence in the room. As you announced, you thought gene pool was a small lottery for people. <laughs> called Jean. <laughs> can a silence be epic? Yes, I think it can. I'll use the example of some of the things that you say and my response. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And occasionally vice versa, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so, have I wasted my money on looking up my parentage? Are you really my mother? Or is that woman who said she was my mother, probably actually really my mother. <laughs> I think probably the latter. And anyone who's willing to take ownership at this stage probably should go with that, really. <laughs> Did you have nice parents? Did you like your parents? I loved my parents. Did you? The curious thing is, sadly, both my parents are deceased. Mm. But And you've had a new patio put in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Coincidence? <laughs> Debatable. Carry on. The thing is... That the longer it is from saying, oh, my childhood was really happy, people question you and say, oh, were you really happy? And you go, of course I was. Yes, I was. And I go, how do you know that? <laughs> You're like, I had a happy childhood, I think. <laughs> but standards change. You say you had a happy childhood and then you describe your childhood to your own kids or to people of a younger generation. And you go, we used to love running around a field with no shoes on, playing with nothing but a hula hoop and a brick. <laughs> field? Hang on, hang on. Hang on, Grimsby, Grimsby. <laughs> running Sorry. around a field, you poshness. <laughs> we used to love running around an alleyway. <laughs> 
soiling <laughs> ourselves for fun and laughing with dirty feet. <laughs> but your childhood will be eons away from our kids' childhood. Just as our parents, when they described their childhood, you were like, oh my God, you poor thing. Yeah. And I went, no, we had a great time. We loved rumbling around in the rubble post-war, seeing who could find a limb of a next-door neighbour. Strange when you said it was eons ago, because my parents nearly called me Ian. <laughs> How did you know that? Have you been looking me up on heritage sites? It's a gift, I tell you. I think that changes your perception of childhood, doesn't it? And also, of course, our childhood, often we were shouted at, we were smacked, we were shut in cupboards, some of us. Occasionally you might have been left in a supermarket. But I'm just saying that's just part and parcel of your development. Yeah, that's your German background, surely. <laughs> <laughs> Baum. No, I did find out a friend of mine's mum was German and she said when the kids were little they had something that was called like a childcare blanket and it was a blanket that you put over your bed but you strapped to the bedposts and it had armholes in it and when you went out you strapped your kid in it what? so they were laying on the bed no. and you went out and did the shopping and came back and unstrapped them and apparently that was perfectly normal. No, where was this? In Germany. <laughs> Probably about 50 years ago. So, and you believe this? No, no, it seriously. Can't have happened. No, because I asked the said child that got strapped, and she said, no, it did, it did happen. But it was just quite common. It was what they did, just as it was quite common for parents to leave kids at home. My mum and dad left me in a pub cot once and disappeared overnight. I'm just saying. <laughs> it was perfectly normal. They'd leave you in the hotel room and go off and have a drink, come back absolutely plastered. Actually, this is all bringing up quite a lot of trauma, Graham. I don't know if we should keep <laughs> yes, talking about yes. it. <laughs> if, if there are any therapists listening, perhaps you could get in touch. <laughs> so what was your childhood like? Fairly relaxed. We just used to go out and play. And Was that because your mum locked the back door and wouldn't let you back in till tea? <laughs> no. She'd come out, she'd call you in for tea, or she'd say, be in by this time, they'd shout and... Perhaps if we were the other side of the block, one of the other mothers would say, oh, your mum's calling you, Graham, and you'd run round and go in for tea. It was great. Mm. It was really good. No real issues until you discover other people have issues and they start saying, oh, there must have been something. Your childhood must have been so bad, you've erased the really bad bits. <laughs> and you're thinking, I'm sure I haven't, have I? I don't think I have, but it, it gets you like that. Turning it around, though, I can imagine that as a parent, I might, in years to come, erase the bad bits of being a parent. <laughs> <laughs> so perhaps I did as a child. OK, so before we became parents, what was your idea of parenthood? So what did you think it was going to be like? And then we'll measure that with the cold, hard truth. I thought I'd be able to reason. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I'd be able to entertain I thought I'd be able to provide an enjoyable environment in which a child could flourish, as opposed to just providing a place where nothing's good enough. I mean, the Wi-Fi's rubbish. The TV, today, I was told, it's rubbish. <laughs> You're like, what? It's only about three months old. <laughs> so I thought being a parent would be about engaging your child and giving them interesting things, which was true when he was young. I will say, you know, coming in with loads of slugs on his arm because he discovered slugs, finding little insects. But the moment he went to primary school and was cross-pollinated by other children, it was like, oh, I'm scared of spiders. 
oh, I don't want to do that. I'm never eating tomatoes again. Oh. It just never recovered, really. It went from eating almost everything to eating just junk. I thought, as a mum, I thought I would be a combination between Floella Benjamin from Play School and Julie Andrews from The Sound of Music. So I thought I would turn into this incredibly mild-mannered, mellow person and I couldn't wait to have a little person to play with and mess around with. You know, but there were certain elements I remember not thinking through properly, like faecal matter of vomit and illness in general. The fluids that fall out of children are really quite repugnant. That was a real (laughs) learning curve also getting sick regularly when they're first little i just got everything i've got all sorts of revolting diseases a couple i know got two children a boy and a girl about seven or eight i said of scott with the nappies and like you say the amount and different colors and goodness knows what that comes out and i said to my friends (laughs) it's like the united calories of fecal matter (laughs) (laughs) yes You just don't want to go there, but you have to. Somebody has to. I said to my friend, the male in the the partnership, I said, how did you get on with changing nappies? And he said, I I never did it. I tried it once. It was just so awful. My wife's always done it. (laughs) I couldn't believe it. I mean, does this go on with parents? It does. And I've seen some amazing excuses and people find alternative emergencies to go and do as soon as they've realised that the kids drop one. There's telltale signs. It absolutely pen and inks and all of a sudden they're very, very warm. So, yeah, I've seen many a dad go, oh, can you just hold them for a minute? I just need to go to the toilet. And then, of course, knowing full well that mum will turn around and go, oh, you've had a whoopsie, let's go and change you. I think what I've really struggled with was potty training. And no one gives you a how-to guide on potty training. And I remember... Could I just clear this up for anybody listening? You struggled or as a parent or as a child? <laughs> I think there's probably two flows of a conversation there, Graham. Um, as a parent, <laughs> teaching a child to go potty, okay. that doesn't half get your blood pressure up. You carry a portable potty with you everywhere you go. You turn into some sort of neurotic beast of a person who spends the whole time going, do you need a wee-wee? Do you need a wee-wee? Do you need a wee-wee? I mean, no wonder the kids are on tender hooks. We had to stop once, about to exit Wales, getting on the M, whatever it was. We'd already said, do you need a wee-wee? She said no, got in the car, made our way, got onto the mainstream motorway. At that point, she says, no, I didn't need a wee-wee, but I do need a poo and I need it now. (laughs) (laughs) Brilliant. Pull over into the section where the police cars normally hang out and I've got a kid sat in the middle of the motorway having a poo in the boot. I mean, you know, all of that was so stressful. Why do you put boots on a small child? So her feet didn't get cold. It sounds like they're German. (laughs) Now you've got rid of the sort of strapping them down bit. You just put them in lead boots. Yeah, we weight them down so they can't run off. (laughs) I think the funny thing, though, a bit like people who want to learn to cook, they buy all the cookery books. And after about four bookshelves full of cookery books, they think there's more to this cooking lark than buying a book. And that happened to us when we were trying to potty train our son Jill had bought one from a bookshop and then there were two in the charity shop advising you on the best way and there was a fun one that you'd read with your child about how the person went to use the potty and I think there was a cat involved and a dog you know it was all very friendly and all relaxed it's just a natural thing just go to the potty didn't work at all and you think (laughs) there's more to training them to use the potty than buying the books yep in fairness as you get older 
and you have got cats and dogs, you often find they spend a lot of time in the toilet with you anyway. So maybe yeah. it was forewarning him about the future. Mine constantly walk in. You think you'll just have five minutes of peace and then the dog headbutts the door and he's in there with you and you're like, well, what do you want? It's not a spectator <laughs> sport. Off yeah. you go. You have that, do you, where there's eight rooms in this house and everyone <laughs> living here the is in the one. toilet. Yes, they're all <laughs> the same one. And then you get rid of the dog and then the cat walks in after. It's like, oh, for God, I'm not going to get five minutes peace here. Five <laughs> I must say, though, that reading those books about potty training, I did tend to go to the toilet more often during that period of my life. Well, again, it makes the whole family neurotic and slightly incontinent. You know, you find yourself going, Daddy, do you want to wee-wee? Oh, for God's sakes, I'm, I'm a 40-year-old man. I don't need to be asked. Well, we're all going, so you might as well join in as well. And you get the embarrassment, don't you, with, oh, my goodness, he's going there and everybody else's child isn't wearing nappies. Mm. It's too embarrassing if mm. he's wearing nappies for him. And it's not really. He ain't got a clue whether he's wearing nappies or not, really. I need to ask I mean, you a critical question. Go on, then. Did you call Jill mummy and did she call you daddy? What, before we had children? <laughs> What is this? This is a bit sensitive topic. Could we uh, could we move on now? You can hear people <laughs> in shopping centres and they go, Daddy, Daddy, could you take Timothy to the toilet? Mummy, Mummy, is it time to go and have lunch yet? And it just sounds weird. It sounds yeah, really, it really weird. Mummy and Daddy, you know, chatting away to each other and they're talking in the house and they go, Mummy, Mummy, is it time for me to give Annabelle her dinner? Yes, Daddy, it is. It's just wrong. It's weird. It's creepy. And it just sounds very peculiar. We might have done a bit of that. What was that in the background? Daddy, Daddy, is that you? Said Jill. <laughs> If we'd done something outrageously naughty as children, my mother would say, wait till your father gets home. Yeah, well, that's a threat. There were no knives involved when she said that, which was pleasing for us. <laughs> my mum used to say, go and see your dad or go and ask your dad. We've always used our names. Yeah, well, that to me is logical. But you do hear couples, there's something very... It's just... It's not right. Yeah, I've heard them too. If any of you are listening and you call each other mummy or daddy, whether you've got kids or not, it's just creepy, so stop. What about people who... Okay, mummy. <laughs> ...call themselves by their correct names and encourage the children to yeah. do that too? Is that strange? Where the children come up and say, you know, in my case, say, oh, Graham. And other people think, oh, he's your dad. You don't call him Graham, do you? How about that? But then that question, then you're thinking, well, is that his dad? Is that not his dad? Is it somebody else's dad? Is it his stepdad? Is it his mum's boyfriend? You don't know what the family dynamic is, do you? My daughter tried to call me Emily once for a bit. That didn't last very long. She got one hell of a dirty look. I think I very clearly said to her, I think you'll find to you it's mummy. Yes. But then equally, when you get older, my mum's best friend said to me, could you stop calling me Auntie Jan? And I said, oh, OK. And she said, because my name's Brenda. No. <laughs> she said, because really, you're old enough now, you can just call me Jan. And I'm like, OK, great. And then every time I speak to her, I go, hello, Auntie Jan. Because I can't break that pattern. I think as a parent, finding that the child isn't like a robot obedient creature <gasps> but an independent thinking human being and has been since day one you know that children are actually human beings and they've got just as many thoughts going through and as they increase the vocabulary they leave you behind really in the argument stakes it does depend on how well your child reacts and benefits from the use of a taser during the early years <laughs> as to how compliant they will be as they get bigger i mean you're right you look back at when our kids were toddlers 
And you think about the arguments you would have with this teeny tiny human being about whether or not they could wear one shoe or go out without their underpants on or whatever it may be. And I remember trying to reason with what really was a feral hairless monkey. (laughs) You're going to have to wear shoes. No, you're going to have to wear shoes. If you want to walk outside, you're going to have to wear shoes. No. Throw the shoes here, throw the shoes there. Fine, 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 fine. We'll go outside, not a problem. Go outside. Ow, my foot hurts. Ow. Uh, uh, Oh, just put the shoes on, dear Lord. But that's how we all learn. We're very glad that we seem to get through the terrible twos, as they're known, when they're two-year-old, and they seem to come up in the threes. (laughs) (laughs) They were just delayed. We didn't avoid them. Just throwing themselves on the back in the middle of a supermarket. Toddlers are like kamikaze agents for the (laughs) comedy circus, aren't they? When you see a toddler throw themselves on the floor of a supermarket, it is funny. It's really funny. And they start huffing and screaming and crying. It's the noise that gets to you, though. And actually, I find now I'm an older parent. Now our children are older and they don't tend to start screaming the house down too often. When you go to a supermarket and that really young child cry... Oh, it goes right through you. Yeah. They should use that as torture in prisons and camps. That's all they need to do. Just set a toddler off in there. You know, give them three bags of chocolate buttons and leave them in with the prisoner. (laughs) They would confess to everything to get them to shut up. If you try and be a sort of like on top of it all parent that really knows what's going on, that's one thing. And the other extent where you're really chilled and laid back doesn't work either. An example of that would be when we were at Centre Parks and Jill... Went to the loo, said, can you get Scott dressed? It had been snowing earlier in the day and we'd got Scooter. He decided he wanted to scoot back to the cabin. So he scooted all the way back. And as we got to the cabin, Jill said to him, come on, take your boots off. And she looked at his feet. He'd still got socks on. And she looked at me and said, he didn't put his boots on. (laughs) I'm like, "Uh, no, sort of laid back. chilled quite relaxed you think well where's the problem and obviously she thought well you shouldn't really get a child to scoot about half a mile in (laughs) icy snowy conditions in socks you should at least (laughs) at least have taken his socks off i thought that's the message i got i missed the pushchair years or as i like to call them Nature's restraints. I mean, if you need a bit of breathing space or you need to control a child that's learned to walk, (laughs) you just (laughs) hoik them in that pushchair, you strap them in and you tell them they're going to have a lovely time. (laughs) This is the German thing coming back on you, isn't (laughs) it? (laughs) Strap them in. We even learnt techniques to get them into the pushchair because they they suss it out. Kids aren't stupid. They suss it out that for a parent it's nice and convenient to lock them in to this mobile dungeon. As they get to about sort of three or four and they start to wrestle with you and they don't want to go in and it becomes proper upper arm workout to get this kid in there especially in the winter when they're wearing layers and they're they're squidgy and you're trying to get them in this pushchair you know and then you can hear people resorting to here having yogurt covered raisin just to get them to sort of stop thrashing so you can click it and get going on with your day (laughs) but i miss push chairs when it comes to sale time yeah i used to be able to get twice as much stuff in there then not shoplifting i did pay for it can't prove it (laughs) what about competitive parenting i was gonna say yeah we knew someone who every Christmas, when there was a sweet competition where you had to put sweets in a jam jar and decorate the jam jar up, the mother would decorate her children's jars and they were really ornate and often won the competition. The children had nothing to do with it at all. And the other kids, like our kid, would say, 
that's not fair, is it? Because they haven't done it. And we'd say, yeah, tricky, because you can't dob a parent in and say she's cheating. No, but you can slash a tyre in a car park and make it look like a nail. (laughs) I couldn't bear all of that. I really couldn't bear all of that. Tarquin's now in his second week of fluent French. Uh, He's only three and a half and uh, he's just taking tightrope walking lessons. I really don't care. Do you know what? You're going to be spending a fortune on Tarquin's therapy when he has to sit and talk through the audacity of having to learn fluent French and having insufferable parents like you. You know, I think kids should be kids. I think they should have a window to be kids. And actually, I think a lot of parents put their own insecurities and their own shortcomings on their kids. Oh, I could have been a professional footballer, so I'm going to flog my kid until he can run at 50 mile an hour and he's got Hang a on, chance. Hang on, that's not the German flog oh, my sorry. kid, is it? Sorry, I know, it's so different here. I'm not even German. <laughs> Just, no, it's just just your baum reverberates. It's my parents' down skills. the centuries. And um, the same with like people that oh, I could have been a famous singer, so my kids are going to have singing lessons every fifteen minutes. Yeah. It's the same type of thing. We do want the best for our children, but there is a fine line between wanting the best for them and actually making the situation worse. You see, I think very wealthy people have got it made, haven't they? They just buy their children into events. I mean, it went wrong in America, didn't it? Where those parents were jailed, some of them, I think. Yeah, for buying their, paying their way into good universities. Yeah. Mm. Did you get smacked as a kid? Did someone smack you around? Is there an opportunity to take it up now if I, if I want to take out some aggression? Well, I once had a blackboard rubber thrown at my head because... The geography teacher asked what the main industry was in Devon. Cream teas. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I said a little too loudly, who cares? Uh... (laughs) Gosh, you think about some of the things that you did when you were a child and you do think, God, I was such an idiot. I've got a friend of mine who was at a private school and she said to her science teacher who posed a very challenging question to her, she said, I don't care. And it really doesn't matter because I pay your wages. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, it's awful. It's beautiful when the child is a baby and you can just get perhaps half an hour of constant laughter. Mm. You know, all of you laughing as you just have to sort of perhaps hide your face behind your hands and you go, boo. And the child goes, oh, and starts giggling and laughing and sort of just lifting in the back, swinging them around. All these things are fabulous. And the playground years where they just could spend a whole afternoon being pushed on the swing. And you think, oh. Mm. And then you get to that stage where they don't want to do anything at all. And you think, what's gone on? Where have I gone wrong? You don't want to do anything. Why don't we go for a walk? Don't want to. Want to talk to my mates on the phone? Not only that, when you make these suggestions, you say, "Do you want to go for a walk? Do you want to go to the shops?" Or say, "Why? Why would I want to do that?" And that just belittles your life. Just because you want to go to the Sunnyside tea shop and have cake and tea, that you are therefore dead inside and not worth anything anymore because that's just not fun. It's like you're being judged by the next generation, yeah. and that your ideas are fun automatically have now put you into the elderly and uninteresting pile which is not fair because i think you know we live very exciting lives graham for people with high cholesterol and the inability to walk very quickly (laughs) you know it's a fast-paced world that we live in has your frame been delivered yet by the way thank god i can finally get out the chair again (laughs) putting my other glasses on 
or my other perspective on, I remember thinking, well, actually, no, I thought my mum had quite an exotic life. She went down the tennis club, drank too much and had lunch with famous people. So, in fact, my trip to Sue's seaside tea shop may possibly seem a little dry in comparison. Uh, my mother didn't drink. She wasn't teetotal. It was too high to hold a glass. <laughs> in the area I came from, people didn't think about whether you drank or not. It did tend to be fishermen, they drink a lot. They're always drunk when they're on shore. If a woman drank, it was like, oh, she drinks. So it was a definite, ooh. What does, how can you be sexist when it comes to alcoholism? In our area, when I was a child, definitely oh. you were. Yeah. And my mother, it was on my brother's wedding day. She went there and suddenly said, oh, would you like a snowball? She got hit in the face <laughs> with a large icy object. <laughs> <laughs> she said, would you like a snowball? And she thought it was like some lemonade. And she said, yes, please. She loved it, this avocar and lemonade. And at the end of the evening, she was absolutely rolling because she'd never really drunk. So just <laughs> these snowballs. And she'd go, I think I'm drunk. <laughs> I think you are, ma'am. Oh, yeah. and a snowball would have been vile to have a hangover on, wouldn't it? <laughs> Oh, she probably yes. woke up the next day feeling like she'd just been sucking on a ball of hair. <laughs> I don't think you're ever grateful for your parents until it's well after the event. So you look mm. back and you think, actually, they were good to me. When you're a parent yourself, you might sometimes think, why aren't they at all great? I'm doing all this, all that. And, you know, Jill's doing all this, all that. You're doing huge amounts of stuff. And the child's like, well, what are you doing? I can't see anything that you're doing <laughs> at all. Nothing. You know, you're the worst parents ever. Did I tell you about our trip to Disney World where um, we'd spent the entire day pushing Ellie around in a wheelchair because she can walk, but she can't do long distances. And it was like 36 degrees and humidity was literally the water was just seeping out of you. And she's heavy and we're pushing around Disney World for the entire day in this boiling hot sun doing all the rides she wants to do. And we're exiting the park and we're talking about where we're going to go out for dinner. And we're talking about this restaurant we want to go to and we all like it. It's, our, it's one of our favourites. And she suddenly smacks her hands down on the side of the wheelchair and she says, well, and we went, what's wrong? She went, we've now got to go out for dinner yeah, to a restaurant <laughs> you like. Huh? <laughs> what have you done for me today? <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's parenting. Yeah, so we let go of the wheelchair and we both had to walk away because otherwise we were going to smother her. It wasn't on a slope, was it? No. <laughs> Again. <laughs> Deny everything. Yeah. Now, I want to close out this episode with something that's got um, a bit of a therapeutic sense to it. So if you had some advice that you would give to your younger self about being a parent, what would it be? Uh, drink more. <laughs> <laughs> Modern Aged Middle Life was brought to you by Graham Jarvis and Emily Baum. If you liked it, tell a friend or rate and review the podcast. That will help others find us. Thanks.